Good morning, Community Church, and happy Easter. He is risen. It is so good to join you in worship today. Welcome to Community Church, and thank you for worshiping us with us today as we worship God on this Resurrection Sunday. I'm excited about what God has already been doing in this worship service. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. And let's begin this service. I want to start this service with one of the lines that stood out to me from Pastor Brenda's sermon on Good Friday. She said, Jesus was most powerful when he was most powerless on the cross. And of course, today, Easter, that resurrection, we think of that power and we think of what we get to enjoy because of that victory over the grave. We're going to look at Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. Um, But before we do, let us pray. God, we thank you for this Easter day where we get to celebrate your resurrection. God, we thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf. God, we thank you that you provide us new life. And now I pray that your Holy Spirit comes and helps us to hear and understand the word um, that we find in Mark and help it to be something that goes deep into our hearts today. In your name, amen. I've asked Aaron to read today's scripture, um, so let's hear the reading of God's word from Mark 16, 1 to 8. Mark 16, 1 to 8. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on his right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went away and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you, Aaron, for that reading. Uh, Mark tells us that these three ladies, the two Marys and Salome, they were close to Jesus. They had been impacted by Jesus. They, They loved him. And so they're preparing after the Sabbath now to go to the tomb and to further prepare the body in the tomb itself. So they have prepared, they've got the spices. On the way there, they're thinking through, okay, there's a stone. What are we going to do? How are we going to to get into the tomb? So they arrive there, and and what do they discover? Scripture says the, the tomb, right, was already open, the stone had been rolled away, and they encountered a young man dressed in a white robe, an angel sitting at the right side. And what were they? They were alarmed, naturally, right? They're alarmed. They don't know what's going on. And the angel reassures them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. And what does he say? He has risen. He is not here. And he invites them to look. See, he's gone. And he says, go tell the disciples. And he says, then you will see him. And then I love this verse 8 here. And it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. 
That's a very believable response. This is one of those verses for me that speaks to the validity of Scripture. If they were making up this story, this is not one of the things they would include, that their disciples went and they discovered this and they ran away afraid and didn't say anything. You would take that type of thing out. But we can connect with this. We could connect with, if we were them, we would probably be confused and alarmed as well. And this is how the Gospel of Mark ends, with the disciples being confused and afraid. Now, in your Bible, there's probably verses after this, verse 8, but there's probably a note that says that these were added later. The earliest documents we have end at verse 8. And you can see why they wanted to add a few more verses to it to, to provide some of that uplifting part of what happened after that. But, but Mark ends it here because I think he could understand and relate to this idea and to this feeling and to this reality. Now, this is the amazing thing, though, that, that these very people that were confused and afraid and his other followers, you know, denying him, betraying him, these same people became people that dedicated their lives to Christ, to him, to his teaching. They dedicated and committed themselves to spreading the good news. And most of these disciples who were afraid, who were confused, ended up giving their life for their faith. How did that happen? How did they go from being confused and bewildered to being committed, willing to give their entire lives? Something changed in them. What does this have to say to us today in 2021? I think a lot. So let's begin to unpack this. You'll see on the slide there's this J curve there. And we've talked about this in the past, and it comes from Paul Miller. And it's this dying and rising with Christ. And we can see the journey that Jesus was on there, right? This incarnation, his stepping down and becoming man, this humble posture that he takes, limiting himself in human form that he's fully man and fully God. And then, of course, this last week we see this death, this Good Friday experience that Jesus goes to. And then today we celebrate this resurrection, right, of Easter and then the exaltation of Jesus, that, that he will be exalted. He will be the name above all names, right? Every knee will bow at his name. And we see this dying and rising that Jesus' life took and that we can see in this holy week. But we can also see our own lives in this journey, right? This dying to pride, this dying to self, the, the struggles that we face, and then holding on to Christ, right? Experiencing freedom in him. We lay down our lives and so that we may find life, as scripture says. And we go through these experiences, these downs and these ups, and our lives might be filled with all these many deaths. Imagine just writing these little J's all over that big J. But here's the encouragement that, that we know that all these little glimpses of the story make up a much bigger picture, that make up a much bigger thing of what God is doing in our lives, that we're part of a bigger story. And we don't always see the, the totality of that story, but we get glimpses in it as we die and rise with Christ. Now, Jesus' resurrection, his victory over the grave, doesn't mean that we won't suffer, right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to face setbacks, 
But when we're in those moments, we look for him, we rely on him, we trust in him, we cling to him in order to become like him. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says that all things will be restored, that everything will be redeemed. Why does there need to be redemption in the first place? We go back to the beginning of creation, right? With the fall, because evil was there, right? This Holy Week, we get this picture of Jesus' redemption plan that he came to conquer evil. The restoration project has begun. Now, was this redemption plan plan B for God? Was God going, you know what, creation didn't quite turn out the way I wanted it to. So we've got to have a, an alternative plan, some less better plan than I originally imagined. Do we, do we think evil handcuffed God in what he was going to do or want to do? We might think God had this brilliant plan of creation, then evil came along and, and messed things up. Now, evil wasn't God's will, evil wasn't God's intention, but evil does not handcuff God. It's not just making the best of a bad situation. Now, we, we see that Jesus himself experienced evil, right? God did not ordain evil. It's not what he wanted to have happen, but evil is in the world. And it's not just something we overcome. God actually is creating something better out of the evil. That's the redemption process, making something better than already was. See, a restored world is going to be better than a world that was already perfect from the beginning. God's plan is to make something better than if evil had never happened, right? And that's what God is doing in this, a restored world, right? If we didn't have evil, if we didn't have the fall, if everything was always perfect, we wouldn't have a need for things like courage and bravery and sacrifice and faithfulness and hope. So look at the, the wounds of, of your life, maybe those that were inflicted upon you, or, or maybe you've given yourself self-inflicted wounds. Now, Jesus' redemption doesn't mean they're going to be erased as if they never happened. His redemption is God is actually going to make something better out of those wounds. God is actually going to create something better out of what happened. Either wounds that were inflicted to you or wounds you gave yourself. See, he isn't getting rid of hurt, but he's, hurting, he's turning hurt into wisdom. He isn't getting rid of your sin, but he's turning sin into humility. He's not getting rid of all these things. He's turning them into something better, and that is God's redemption. See, in Revelation, it says that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear, and that's a wonderful picture, but it's not just tears in the moment. It's all tears you've ever had. Somehow in God's economy, in God's redemption, and God's restoration, he's going to turn all those things into something more beautiful than what they were at the beginning. He's turning it into something good. He's transforming it. Now we see how this works actually with Jesus himself. We're going to look at John 20, um, verses 20. And the verse right before that, verse 19, says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, 
when the disciples were together. So this was Easter had happened, but the disciples had not yet encountered Jesus with the doors locked for fear of their Jewish leaders. So the disciples are afraid, right? They're hiding, the door is locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And now verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the wounds in his hands from the nails, the wounds in the side from the sword. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus shows off the scars. Jesus could have resurrected without the scars, right? Without those wounds, they could have been erased, but his body is important and our body is important. And those scars tell a story. Those scars tell how Jesus was killed, a shameful way, a disrespectful way. As we learned on Good Friday, this was the worst possible way to die. It was incredibly shameful. You would think you would want to hide those things, not advertise them. It's hard to think about a modern equivalent for that, but if you were somehow marked physically with something that spoke of brokenness in your past, and it was something that everybody could see on you. Jesus says, we don't have to hide those things. We can show those things. He displays them because in the story of those scars is redemption, his sacrifice for us. If you're maybe new to the Christian faith, just trying to figure it out, we're glad that you're here. This is a great place to ask questions, to explore, to find out more. So continue coming back and, and digging into this story because there's a lot to dig into. So let's continue. There's three kinds of deaths, as you see on this first slide here. There's the when trouble comes to you, right? There's the when trouble starts with you, and then when you run to trouble. What is that first one? The first one we call suffering. You don't have much choice, but the suffering comes to you. It happened to you. It came to you. You didn't have anything to do with it other than it came after you. You were inflicted maybe with a scar, with a wound. The second one is repentance. These self-inflicted things that we might do to ourselves. These wounds that maybe bad choices that we have made. That's the second kind of death. And the third one is love. When we run to trouble, when you head into battle, when you are willing to make the sacrifice to give of yourself and to give yourself for the good of others, we call that love. Here's the truth. You can have faith without proof, but not love without sacrifice. You can have faith without proof, but not love without sacrifice. These scars on Jesus shows his sacrifice and shows his love for us. They show courage, compassion, love. They tell a story of redemption. Those scars are also proof that God does heal. And your scars tell a story as well. I've been on the receiving end of wounds where suffering came for me. Those wounds healed into scars, but I've also given myself wounds, dumb choices I've made, anger that I've um, had in my life, things I regret, making a mess of things. Suffering has both driven me away from Christ and back to Christ. 
The struggles I experienced as a teen gave rise to anger and rebellion in me. And I used that anger and rebellion to turn from God, to run from God, to run from Jesus. And that worked for a while, but there was something left wanting. There was something left meaningless. I was left with angst, but not healing. Those wounds drove me back to Christ, back to his story, back to trying to make sense of what was going on in my life and could something better be made of it. And that's what I found in Christ. It doesn't mean everything was erased in my past, but that these ingredients were given to God to make something good out of. And this is what Jesus just shows his scars for, and we can do the same. I'm not happy about the scars that I've had, but God has redeemed those things. Those scars have made me who I am today. God has used those scars to help me to be a pastor, to be a better husband, to be a better dad. He's helped to make redemption out of those scars. Now, we don't always know how God will use those things in our life to be redeemed, but we know that he will, in fact, redeem them. He will do a work in us. When I was in kindergarten, um, when I was young, I lived in Minnesota, and we attended a church um, that was kind of a fire and brimstone type of church. Um, And one night at home with my mom, I said a prayer, uh, kneeling by my bed. I invited Jesus into my heart. I told God that I believed I was a sinner and that Jesus came to rescue me. I still remember that moment. It did something inside of me. In a childlike way, I believed God loved me and that Jesus came to show me that love. And that I was being invited to accept that love. Now, it's not very hard to critique or deconstruct, you know, a story of a, of a young, you know, six-year-old um, coming to faith. I wanted to please my parents. I, there was fear-based uh, um, turning because of the church, feeling pressure, perhaps, from the pastor. But when I was running from God, a lot of those things began to stir in me. And, but there is something, um, it can be helpful to question, you know, our, our beginnings. It can be helpful to be reflective about our church experiences, our encounters with Christ. But one thing in that story cannot be denied, that God used that moment to change me. He did something undeniable in my life that, that I cannot get away from. I know something happened. It was real. It meant something. And that prayer, as simple as it was, was a defining moment for me. Now, I was able to go back to that church a few years ago, and uh, they gave me this mug uh, when I visited there. And I wanted to go back. I wanted to see the place where um, provided the beginnings of my faith. And my, my beliefs and my theology are much different from this church's theology. But here's the thing, even in a broken church, and we are all broken churches, friends, but even in a place that like that, God can use it to work. And he used it to work in my life. He used it to bring me to 
faith. I tell you this story because we're all invited to trust, to accept, to believe, to experience and to embrace God's love. It's his invitation to you. Jesus invites us to trust that the love we fear is too good to be true is actually good enough to be true. Jesus invites us to become, to be drawn into his love as it shapes and transforms us. Jesus calls us to repent, to have our minds and hearts transformed so that we can see everything differently, so we can get a glimpse of how he sees us and this world. It will require a death, a humbling, a leaving behind of the old man, our old ways of thinking. At the same time, it requires us to take something up and to open up as we lose hold of our old ways of thinking and we let go so we can receive from God. While we continually find grace waiting to pick us up off the ground after we've fallen, we get to experience the realities of our choices when we mess up, when we choose self, we might regret opportunities that we haven't taken. We won't get the chance in front of us ever again. God gives us each moment to make the most use of that moment. What does God have in front of you right now? What does he want for you? What scar has he redeemed in you? What wound does he want to redeem? Because God wants us all to know and experience his love. If you'd like to take a step of faith today, maybe a first-time commitment to Christ, or maybe you've drifted, um, maybe you're not where you want to be in your faith life, I invite you to take a step of faith today, to take a step towards Christ, to take a step towards opening yourself up to his love and his grace and his transformation and his redemption. I'm going to pray in just a moment and I would invite you to just pray along in your heart if that's a step of faith that you would like to take. Wherever you might be today, religiously or spiritually, um, having many doubts or feeling very close to God, I invite you to make the most of this moment now, this Easter day, this resurrection day where we celebrate what God has done in us. Please pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God that you came to rescue me from sin and death and to restore me to relationship with God. I choose now to turn from my sins, my selfishness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as Lord and Savior. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your love and your life. And help me to become a person who is truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Live in me. Love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, I pray.